Hello and welcome. This is the Filmmakers Podcast. This is a podcast where we talk filmmaking, from indie film to studio films and everything in between. How to get them made, how to make them, and how to try and to F it up, in our very, very humble opinion. Hello, I'm Jos Alderson. I'm a writer, director, and I'm a producer. And I've had a very exciting week. I'm not going to tell you about that because this podcast with our wonderful guest today is so exciting that I want to get to it straight away. Um, you know about me anyway. It's boring. It's not important. Um, what is important, though, is this week's guest. It is the wonderful Hazraf Dalol, otherwise known as Haz. Um, we chatted with him about how he went from VFX supervisor on The Dark Knight and working with the legend that is Chris Nolan. Yes, he calls him Chris. We all call him Christopher. Um, to writing and directing his own feature film, his big sci-fi films, two of them. He's on to more already, and he's done a big TV series as well. We talk about the importance of knowing VFX, how to work with it, not against it, working with directors and creating a great atmosphere on set, and making that big leap to TV. This is our guest, Hazraf Dalol. It's coming up very shortly. But thank you uh, for last week. Thank you for listening to the wonderful Jim Cummings, who joined us on the podcast last week. Thank you for all your retweets and shares and likes and comments. Yes, he is amazing. If you haven't listened to that podcast, go and listen to it after this one. Jim is a real inspiration to indie filmmakers out there. And his film, Thunder Road, which is still being shown in UK cinemas now, is 100% worth the watch. It's also available now in the US. You can see it. And Australia. And there's so many of you lovely people in Australia listen to this, so thank you. Um, but you can get that all around the world, so do. So that was Jim Cummings. That was last week. And it was a delight to have him on. So as you know, we've now teamed up with ScreenCraft.org. I hope you all enjoyed going there last week to their website and seeing what they have on offer. Thank you for those that did. And thank you for those who commented and let me know that you thought they were brilliant and that you were so pleased we teamed up with them. Some offers, I'm sure, will be swinging your way soon on that, so keep an eye out. But ScreenCraft, if you don't know what ScreenCraft are and you didn't listen to last week's podcast, which I highly recommend you do because it's with Jim Cummings, um, they are dedicated to helping connect emerging writers and filmmakers like yourselves uh, with career opportunities. It's really the home for it. You really do want to go there and check out what they're doing. Uh, they talent discover people through their programs and education um, that they do for screenwriters. It's helped hundreds of writers uh, meet and sign with literary agents, managers, and option their screenplays to Hollywood producers. And they got hired, those people, by major studios. So why not get involved? Uh, screencraft.org. Um, they're really cool. They've got their competition at the moment um, with grants of up to $30,000 for independent filmmakers worldwide. <sighs> that ScreenCraft Film Fund is currently accepting applications. Just go to ScreenCraft.org. Do it. You won't be disappointed. Uh, it is our new partners and we're delighted to have you. Thank you. Yeah. And our sponsors this week are Performance Insurance Oh, yeah. I love the guys at Performance Insurance. I've been with them, as you know, for 13 years, and they're so cool. They've been providing insurance for the film and media industry for over 20 years, and they're often bespoke policies. Honestly, they're cool as hell. Uh, so if you're making a little short, if you're making a promo, get in touch with them and say the Filmmakers Podcast sent you. Cool. Uh, links to both of those are in the show notes. Finally, um, before we get to today's podcast with Hazraf, um, I have some indie film shout-outs for those people who've been brilliant this week. 
I, I love I love our listeners. I really do. I think you guys are amazing. Um, so shout outs to Carolyn Sames, Matthew Butler, who I went to see his and Tory Butler Hearts The Isle this week. I hosted the Q and A at the end, but oh my god, that film is fantastic. Seek it out, The Isle. So shout outs to Matthew, uh, Martin Neely, Will Kenning. And Nick Hatton-Jones. It was so lovely to see you today. Hello, mate. Uh, And finally to Victor Rios, who I saw at the screening for I Love My Mum. Another film that's out now. Uh, The people behind it have been on our podcast. Alberto Shama and Matt Hookings and Don Lemoir. Ah, so many podcasts you can listen to in our back catalogue of people that have films out now. It just shows you the success stories and the people we get on are high-flying. So tell your friends about this podcast. Follow us on iTunes. Follow us on Podbean. Yeah, uh, do your best because it's so nice when we get lovely little people joining us and we, there's new people or old people saying, yeah, we love this. And I mean old people as in people who've been around listening to this podcast for the year and a half, nearly two years um, that I've been doing this. So wonderful news. Anyway, right, let's get to today's cool podcast with the brilliant Hasraf to Love, my, myself and Robbie McCain. And he's brilliant. He edited this podcast as well. What a guy that guy is. Uh, he's filming with me tomorrow and he's involved in the Food for Thought now. He's a very talented individual. Um, don't snap him up because I've got him. It's too late. Don't go to his website. Don't look at his stuff and don't follow him on Twitter. Um, <laughs> of course you can. It's Robbie McCain on Twitter. So we sat down at Directors UK for this informative and delightful little chat. Have a wonderful week. Thank you for listening. And enjoy. It's my absolute delight to welcome to the Filmmakers Podcast, and I want to pronounce this correctly. Everyone calls you Has, but it's Hazraf Dalal. Perfect, you got it in one go. Boom! <laughs> nice. Nice. Uh, thanks, Robbie. Um, how you doing, buddy? I'm good, thank you. Thank you for having me on. It's really. a pleasure to have you on the podcast, honestly. Uh, we've been trying to do this for a little while, haven't we? I know, we, we have, yeah. Trying to sort our schedules out so that we could chat, and now we have, and I'm yeah. delighted. We're at Directors UK right now. Thank you very much, Directors UK, for letting us use your space. And obviously, you know, you're a massive fan of our podcast. So, and you know how, I, I how it works, yep. that we ask you how you became a filmmaker in the first place. Because a lot of our listeners are uh, independent filmmakers. They're people who are just starting out. They're people who've made a lot of movies. But your journey is really interesting because you come from the visual effects world. What in the world made you want to become a filmmaker? Well, how long have we got? Because it's quite a big We've, ep- epic. Robbie, how long have we got? We've got <laughs> as long as you want, Hans. Okay, well, I'll keep it as succinct as I can. I've always wanted to be a filmmaker since the age of, I say 12. I mean, I remember, this wow. may sound a bit cliched, but like I watched a VHS copy of Blade Runner. Sure. I remember watching that. Going, great film. Right? Great and, film. Um, yeah. Let's not get into debate about the... <laughs> we all think it's great, so we're fine. Yeah, we're right. exactly. We're right. um, but... I mean, it blew me away. And, you know, being 12 years old, like, I had no idea what's involved in making those things. I just knew I wanted to be involved in creating something as cool as that and yeah. blow people's minds and, you know, and just use my imagination. So um, I came from a very strict family. So, like, my my mom and dad were like, you're not doing filmmaking. That's not going to make you tons of money. I was taking my, my dad's VHS because um, he did, like, corporate videos and stuff. And oh, did he? Yeah, with, like, oh. big, massive VHS cameras. And um, and I would just shoot stuff. And then I remember one day he was looking at the VHS goes, so he's watching a client and he goes, why is there two guy, two kids fighting with swords? That's lightsabers. And, um, <laughs> you take two, your dad. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. But then he was like, yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. So flash forward, I'm in college and um, yeah. I had to pick a course. And um, eventually I went to uni. I went to a university called um, City University. There wasn't a visual effects course. So filmmaking courses, you know, this is like 90... 96, 97. It's kind of Showing skimming age. my age, yep. I know. Uh-huh. Um, so... Um, <laughs> They wanted me to get into more like programming, software development. 
I'm like, okay, I mean, I wasn't very good at maths, but I, I love programming. And one of the things I did in, in college was um, program a video game because I loved playing Doom, Duke Nukem. Wow. So I, was, so I managed to find a really cool compromise. So this is a good tip for like any like Please, you know, youngsters out there tips. that are trying to get into like creativity. But Even oldsters, to, yeah. Yeah, right. Um, so I, I picked programming because like, you know, you can be a software developer, yeah. but I also picked technology as well, which is at the time, you know, uh. it's graphics. And so I combined them both together. And I remember at the time, the first version of Flash, Macromedia Flash was coming oh, yeah, out and yeah. Macromedia Director was coming out. So there was a lot of these like immersive sort of graphics um, solutions. So I kind of like did a course at university on that and my final year project was a video game demo which landed me a job at a video games company called Daber Studios and I worked in video games for about six years I think and um, okay. I worked on PlayStation 1 titles a lot of racing games Did you, what were you doing on them um, game cinematics tell me more so wow. game cinematics cutscenes cutscenes oh the cutscenes you cutscenes. The cutscenes. yeah back then it was called FMV full motion video because full motion video is a big thing back then wow. so um so and back then, like now it's, it's like really like high end, like if you go to places like Ubisoft and Sony, you know, you got like game directors, lighting, shading, so Huge on. Huge now. But back then it's like, can you animate? Can you, can you edit? Yep. You're doing the whole sequence. So I was essentially making mini movies for video games and we're talking PlayStation one here. So you, yeah. you're very restricted with your, with your textures and your graphics and your technicalities. But that was great because. You know, later on, when I became an indie filmmaker, I had to use the same ethos of working in a contained contain environment, working mm. with restrictions. So that always stuck with me in video games. Sure. Um, and then it was around um, 2006, I was working for a company called Codemasters. So yeah. I did a game called Colin McRae Rally, which yeah, is a yeah. rally game. I played on, that game. It was on PS2. I remember that one. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> and I did a lot of the cinematics for that. And it was very fast and furious. And, Check you out. Uh, yeah, I love good. that. Oh, cool. Right. Thanks. It, it was good fun. I learned so right. much because... You know, you really have to understand to tell stories in a very short amount of time. You don't want your video game players to press X or start to skip it. No, because you want them to watch this cool exactly. shit that you've just right. done. Right. Spend exactly. a long time doing. <laughs> yeah, and rendering for hours and days. Oh, yeah. Um, so, but now it's like a few seconds. <laughs> Can I tell you a story? When I was a kid, my parents said, I'll only buy you. Uh, I wanted to get, I think, an Atari. And I think I had a Spectrum. Okay. I wanted to upgrade. Right. And they said, I'll only get you it if you actually use your Spectrum as a thing. You'll only use it. Yeah. So I said, all right, I'm going to program a game. I'm going to prove nice. to you. I'm going to do it. And I spent a day putting in zeros and ones, zeros yeah. and ones, zeros and ones. And then it crashed. I cried. <laughs> and because my parents were so nice and I'd put all my pocket money into it, they eventually said, fine, well, because you tried. We'll get you the Atari. You had you to print I mean? them out of a magazine, I remember, right? You yeah. had to type all the code. Type you missed code. one line that or one it. syntax. And you wouldn't know where it was because it was yep. all fucking zeros and ones. <laughs> <laughs> it was insane. That, oh, that's heartbreaking, Giles. That is a short film in itself. Robbie. <laughs> yeah. Right. Hey, we were talking about making a short film earlier. That could be the one. Let's do it. Yeah. I'll play myself as Atari a younger dreams. version. I'll just shave. I'll be that fine. sounds really good. <laughs> <laughs> He's like that. No, it doesn't. <laughs> Atari dreams. Yeah. And eventually at Christmas, this Atari turns up. We go, oh, <laughs> Wow, you've been figuring out a short film on the podcast. I love it. So I remember at Codemasters, I, you know, visual effects was becoming a really big thing. You know, companies like Framestore, MPC, mm. they're really putting adverts in places like Cinefx and I was having access to that. Um, so I thought, you know what? I spent most of my years mimicking movies when i just go and work in the movie industry so i thought you know i can put a show roll together some really cool game cinematics yeah i'll get a job easily sent my reel out to framestore npc rejection on every single studio rejected me i'm Seriously? like yeah I'm like, i don't get it this is 
this is full CGI. They go, yeah, no, it's great for full CG animated scenes. And back then, the lines weren't as blurred as they are today. If you worked in video games, you were like, yeah, you work in games. You're not a film guy. Sure. It's kind of like this how everyone wants to prejudice. move on to film. Ah. Yeah. Whereas now, like people from film moving over to games and it's the blur, the lines are blurring massively because they share yeah. the same tech and everything, right? Sure. Back then it wasn't. It was really like two different territories. Well, it's when a video game used to be a, a kind of derogatory. Totally. Like, pe- some critics would be like, I don't like that movie. It looks like a video game. Yep. Oh, yeah. That's where, that's yeah, where yeah. that saying so comes now from. you'd be lucky for it to look like <laughs> yeah. a video game. Right. over the fucking right. moon. Totally. Someone's competitive to a video game. Yeah. I know. Yeah. I've won. Ju- Justice League wishes it totally. looked like a video game. You Atari for me. <laughs> that's, so, that's so true. So I remember ringing up NPC and saying, hey, listen, like, you know, I sent my reeling. I'd love to get some feedback. You know, I've got a thick skin. I thought I did. And I was like, okay, just give it. And, and there was the lead artist at the time. He was like, listen, like, I, I really love the energy in your work. And clearly you love movies. But, you know, what do you want to do in visual effects? I'm like, I just want to do cool shit. Mm. They're like, okay, but it's, it's separated. You know, you have 3D, you have animation, you have shading, you have compositing, you have color grading. And it goes on. I'm like, wow, well, guess what? I did all of that. I go, yeah, you kind of don't do that in movies. So I picked compositing because okay. compositing was something that I loved doing because I love the idea of smoke and mirrors. Mm-hmm. I also love the idea of taking CGI elements, taking live action, putting them together. And the guy was like, look, if you can create a showreel which shows you can demonstrate the ability of combining computer graphics and live action together and it's seamless, then you've got a job. So I went okay. out with a mini DV Yeah, now camera, you're a challenge accepted. And I, totally. And while I was still working in video games, I just shot a bunch of stuff and I used After Effects and something called Combustion. So for those VFX Sounds artists dangerous. out there, <laughs> it was part of a company called Discrete, which is now Autodesk. And it was their compositing software. And it was one of the first compositing software that allows you to do 2.5D, so it's like, it's fake 3D. Okay. And um, I just done, I, I mimicked um, scenes from The Matrix. I mimicked scenes from Blade Runner. And I just kind of made my own versions of those. Wait, wait were you in these films? Or you, did you star in them as well? <laughs> as, um, yeah, no, I'm trying not to share my face and stuff. But I was, yeah, I've got a couple of friends together. I've got my brother in there. Um, but a lot of it was just like, you know, just robots walking on the street. I'll get my camera and just film the Barbican or something. Um, that was back in the day when we wouldn't get stopped by the cops. And I sent it in and uh, I got the job. I got end up working on a movie called 10,000 BC. Yeah, Fantastic film. Yeah, it was, it was great. It was a great experience where I worked on Sweeney Todd, worked on Harry Potter films. Um, and I remember on 10,000 BC, I volunteered to do the night shift. I'm like, yeah, I'll do the night shift. That was like starting at 8 p.m. It's tough on a Roland Emmerich film. That's like, oh, you oh, picked the oh, one director. Oh, that, that film, I don't know. <laughs> it wasn't going to get released at one point because it, the shots weren't getting signed off. Hence the night shift. We needed a 24 hour ah. work site. So I then quickly shot up to become the lead compositor, like very quickly because I volunteered. And, um, <laughs> I'll do it. I'll, <laughs> I'll do, do it. it. <laughs> yeah, everyone's like, you're crazy. Um, but it was a good experience for me because I really got to work under pressure. And then and then I left the company. I went to work for other studios. Well, you made your Chronicles of Narnia on, Hellboy yep. 2. Hellboy 2 was it, yep. Come on. Now, Dark, this Knight, is... Dark Knight was the, probably the highlight of my career in visual effects. And it's thanks to um, a visual effects colleague and friend called Faraz Hamid, who I'm always in debt with this guy. He's, you know, he's now like doing stuff for Marvel. He's a previous supervisor. But you know, he saw how I just had the hunger to tell stories. But I just was willing to learn and put in the hours and just do whatever it takes. Yeah. And um, so he goes, listen, there's a project at Pinewood. I can't tell you what it is. It's called Rory's First Kiss. It's the code work. I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, mm, some sounds... rom-com film. Yeah. Because, but we need someone that can use Shake which is the composite and software back in the day okay. called Shake. And uh, we need someone that can use composite, but also have an understanding of 3D and loves telling stories and put them together. But it's previs, and we're going to develop something called post-viz, which is now today it's a common thing where you take previs and live action, you put them together, figure out how it looks, and then you go off 
and do it for real. Sure. I love all of this. I love the infancy of compositing and VFX stage, yeah, that right. whole history. Yeah. It's amazing. Oh, totally. It? Yeah. So like now you read like Cinefx, so you're like, oh, post-viz. But back then it was a new term coined. And um, so I went in, I remember like, ha- hadn't like, you know, an idea what this movie is about. I signed my contract, everything, going to Pinewood, sitting there, there's like a small team of us. And the first shot comes up on my screen and it's the Dark Knight. It's Batman in the room with Morgan Freeman and all these like blue screen um, monitors. Did you lose your shit? I, yeah, literally. I was like, turn around and go, Faraz. Go, yeah, dude, I know. I, dude, just keep it cool. <laughs> keep it fucking cold in the job's yours. Just keep it cool. <laughs> like, dude, I was willing to make tea just to be on that yeah, movie. of course okay? you would. <laughs> we all would now. We go back in time and do that. Totally. Fuck. And um, it was great because I was on that movie for like six or seven months and I learned so much. I got to work with the previous team. I got to understand the pressures of working on the Nolan movie. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas back then, you know, it wasn't, he wanted as much stuff in camera. He didn't yeah. really want to see anything. He's like, Mr. Practical Effects, isn't he? He's Mr. Practical, yeah. but obviously all the screens and so the sequence I worked on was all the sonar sequences. So when you pick up the phone, there's all the sonar graphics, the sequence where Joker and these guys are coming down the building and it's all seen in this really cool sonar type graphics there's scene with morgan freeman's bat cave and yeah. all the monitors so i had to design all those things wait, I had stop, to come up the wait look. you design <laughs> so you, you came up with the look yeah yeah i had to come up with the look so basically the wow. previous guys you created of, the bat sonar the bat sonar yeah that was um yeah that was months of sign offs um you could have that on your headstone <laughs> do you know what i mean a, you, know, allowed, you know back then created the batman sonar <laughs> people go oh fuck, you, you know, could have a blue plaque <laughs> Yeah, it took me a while, a while to really like for it to say. Because back course. then, I'm like, oh my god. The previous guys will create really rough animated versions of what the the building looked like, where the positions of the the, the soldiers would be, and Joker and his goons. And I would have to create the look of it. So in Shake, I'll create the you know, we have purple, we have green, we, have, we went through every shades of blue you can think of before we had a sign off. But here's the big tr- the big big challenge was working in a software called Shake, which is designed for 2K resolution. Dark Knight was IMAX. Yeah, what about the IMAX scenes? I was just going to say those were IMAX scenes, by the way. And um, so, yes, yeah, so I had to. So I had to figure out a way of how to bring IMAX plates. So plates are the footage, mm-hmm. the plates, seventy millimeter. Yeah, and bring them in. They were like five K resolution. It's ridiculous, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's shape. the highest quality oh, kind of tight. visual medium even today. Totally. What did you do? What? Well, there was no software in the office that could process it, so I had to come up with a way. So my boss at times like, well, you know. Shake comes with um, programming software. So can you just code something that allows Stop you? It. Yeah. So, so and obviously I'm like, yeah, sure, Chan. Sure, yeah. No friggin' idea. Wow. Had to. Luckily, I came from a programming background because so that came in useful. Mm. But you know, I had to. So I went on the forum and there was a website called FX PhD, which is. I went on YouTube. I love the idea. I went you? to Google. <laughs> literally, it was that. IMAX. It was help. literally that. But the cool thing is, there was this thing called FX PhD, which is still going on today. Yeah. And there was a course on Shake on and creating what you call macros. So I literally just figured out how to create a system where I could bring in a 2K plate, blow it up to 5K, do the work, read in the actual um, plates as proxies, do all the compositing and dump it down to 2K and print it out. And um, it was a lot of trial and error. I didn't go home, I think. I just ended up doing it. I love um, that. You just, just, just threw that off. Like, oh, and I just did this, did this, did this. Well, I know, love it, that. It, it was the point where I just knew if I said I couldn't do it, they're like, okay, well, maybe you should just go and we'll just can the idea of 5K. I'm like, no, I need this. I really want this. <laughs> yeah, I, want I learned this. about framing. I learned about pacing. I learned about shot compositions. 
I learned about virtual cinematography. Mm. I learned about all the things that kind of made me the filmmaker I am today came from working on previs and postvis. So it was, if anything, yes, the, it was a challenging project, but it was film school for me. It sounds like way. the best <laughs> film school in the world, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, I can't believe you were making the technology as you were doing yeah, the work. That's, that's crazy. That's, Th- this is Jurassic crazy. Park level. <laughs> No, it is, because that's yeah. what they did on Jurassic yeah. Park, didn't they? They didn't know what the dinosaurs were going to look Absolutely. like. No one knew, and you were doing this yeah. here on Batman. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so this is, I mean, this isn't your first film. Like I say, you've yeah. done Chronicles of Nine and Hellboy 2 before that, and Digital Compositor on that. So after The Dark Knight, we, at that point, were you already thinking, I kind of want to do more than this? Okay, well, I could firstly tell you, straight after Dark Knight, I'd never sent my CV out ever again. You, really? You never, just didn't I'd, have to? I'd never needed to. So all to. those arseholes who ignored you <laughs> Pretty before. Pretty much. literally going... <laughs> Hello, has has <laughs> so good, That's so satisfying. So you know, you know, it's I could I could have just been making the tea there, but because I worked on Dark Knight, yeah, you're hired. Um, no, it wasn't that bad. But, uh, but it probably but it could have been. It could have been. <laughs> yeah. the Godfather of superhero films. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And it still sounds still, today. still does. It still, still sounds amazing. Um, and the, the interesting thing is that I was in Sweden working on the Coca Cola commercial by the time the film came out. So I left and went on to do commercials and compositing. So I became a, what you call a lead compositor, where you look after a team of people while still compositing. And then I eventually became a visual effects supervisor. So I was working at a company called Jellyfish Pictures in London, who were working on a show called America, The Story of Us, which was basically a documentary for Discovery and BBC about the birth of America. And um, they had a wonderful directors, you know, it's television. So mm-hmm. you have your show runners, you have your executives, but the directors were drama based and they just kind of like legged it after the shoot. They're like, you know, done, done my five Well, that's what they it. do in, the, right. in America. They get their contract and it's like a week afterwards and, and then that's they're, they're it, off. they're done, they're Exactly. Off. But here's the thing, it's very much visual effects driven. So I end up becoming sort of like a second unit director on it where I was designing and directing those sequences, but mm. I was very hands-on as well. And the showrunner and execs said, well, why don't you just take over the sequence? We just want to show how the Statue of Liberty was built. So I was kind of making mini movies. And then, yeah, and then I ended up working on Planet Dinosaur for the BBC. I ended up getting nominated for Visual Effects Society Awards for Dropping those. Dropping that in. My drop. But it's, I mean, it's all incredibly hard work and it's all like, you've got to be able to take criticism from your boss from the studio i'll say i'm a lazy compositor or i'm an efficient compositor but i always like to make things as easy as possible so i always have backup plans i always do pre-renders so pre-renders means like you know you do a render and you come on top of it and do another render so which means if you want to change a thing the last change it's a very um low process intensive to do as opposed to going back to the beginning and rendering everything out right like yeah. in animation the cell concept absolutely so you, you, they draw the background and then they'd have a separate cell for a character on top of it so yeah. it's not really so bad example. it's not like you've just crashed all your work you've no. lost the whole lot oh no because no. you didn't press save and your computer <laughs> crashed right no, it's not that no, bad no and you back up no um, fine, okay. but yeah you're still you're still doing crazy hours i mean visual effects you know it's not a nine-to-five job i can safely say that now anyone was getting visual effects do it it's great and you'll enjoy it you'll love it your but it's not nine till five and yeah it should be but it isn't and most of the artists that work there are not being are not working there with a gun to the head you know like myself i was working there because i love doing it i'm like why would i ever want to go home apart from the fact when your missus calls you goes are you coming home for dinner no, no, I'm like, I'm, oh yeah you exist yeah well, i forgot you're doing food for me but um I, uh, i'm just twiddling with batman's nipples right now and i really need to just get this done so it's so important it's so, so important. i've definitely got my priorities sorted uh, out and right now for those people who don't know what's the difference between a visual effects supervisor and i suppose a com Positing. Very good question. Thank you. Okay, so a compositor is pretty much a visual effects artist. So a compositor is someone that sits on a computer, gets your shots, 
and you've got to put all the elements together to make it work as a final shot. A visual effects supervisor is less hands-on on the computer and deals with day-to-day on set, deals with pitching for the project. Pretty much you're the director's right-hand man uh, or right-hand woman. Mm-hmm. It was a really good experience for me being a VFX supervisor because I was now not just doing really cool, pretty pixels, sure. but I was dealing with politics. I was dealing with on-set politics, studio mm-hmm. politics. I was dealing with budgets and solving problems and you know you're probably basically a problem solver that's your job as a visual effects supervisor right the director will say hey i want this and i want that and the producer will like you he can't, can't have, have that, that. <laughs> <laughs> but we need that stuff in the scripts sure. and then you have to try and figure it out and right, you know sometimes right. like you know you know the interesting thing is like i spent most of my time as a visual effects supervisor telling the director or the clients don't stick a green screen on. You don't need to do that in visual effects. Yeah. You could right? do it for real. Yeah. Why would you do it in visual effects? I totally agree. <laughs> it's always bothered me when they'll put a big green screen up. I go, why are you putting that up? Right. I know how, how it works now. And you go, you don't need the you green don't need screen it. Or if you don't, if, you know, if you want to blow a car up and you want to do it in CG, unless your camera's going through the windshield and into the engine and back out, blow it up for real or do a miniature and then composite it. So that was kind of my job. A lot of my job was You Christopher Nolan that stuff. Exactly, right? Could you pull that card out whenever it's like, um, Dark Knight, Dark Knight? Yeah, it's just whenever someone says something, listen, I Dark Knight. I try not to. I try not to. Batman's nipples. Not- <laughs> that's it. Um, the way I kind of understand, I mean, compositing, it's almost like when you see bad CGI in films, it's almost a lot of the time it's because it's been badly composited in. And yeah. the films that really work with have great CGI are things like Nolan's films and like Finch's films where it's almost invisible. Um, sure. That, you know, whatever it is, the matte painting, the animation, right. it's all perfectly, yeah, it's cohesive together. Which, so that, which is something you do from the very beginning before you shoot is that the idea part of your job as a vfx supervisor is you get the script you do a script breakdown you kind of highlight what's visual effects what isn't you then go into the studio and you pitch why you should do the job and how you could help bring this director's vision or this production company's vision to the screen mm-hmm. and then you'll say this is why i can get made for this number and these are sort of suggestions i would do but you try not to creatively change the shot but what you try to do is you try to offer creative solutions to still maintain the shot vision the director's vision but come up with ways to get it done on time a lot of time it's time that's against you and then the budget and then once you win the job you then work very closely to the director to try and figure out how to like plan the shots you do a lot of previs you do things like tech viz mm-hmm. which is blocking out cameras in previs working out technology you need whether you need a steady cam whether you need you know technocrane and so on what lenses you need and then you would um, when you're on set you are at the mercy of the first AD. So always any VFX supervisors or want people that want to be VFX supervisors, here's a tip. Your best friend isn't literally the director. It's the first AD. Mm-hmm. If, if you got him or her on your side, you can get your chrome balls. You, know, you can get your measurements done. The director will just say yes to everything. Of course they will. Because yeah, <laughs> yeah, they've got their own yeah. set of problems totally, to deal yeah, with. That's just right? Right. They're going, VFX need it? Fine, <laughs> let them have it. But if the first goes, no, we can't, we can't, we've got to move on. Exactly. And yeah, and I remember my first few jobs. Uh, I'm like, okay, we'll, we'll try and sort it out in visual effects. And you come back and you're like, oh my god, I really wish I. Post, yeah, yeah, and that's shit. something later on in my career as a director. I don't have that on set, fix it in post. Yeah. Um, so because I learned the hard way. Because you are the post. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. I ain't um, gonna fix this shit. <laughs> I ain't gonna fix that. 
but then eventually I became a VFX producer. Right. So I kind of, and so I worked for a company called Prime Focus. And Prime Focus was, is, I think still is one of the yeah. biggest post companies. They acquired tons of companies. Mm-hmm. And because of my, v, my Visual Effects Society nominations and awards, I was headhunted to run the broadcast department. Amazing. So I got to work on a bunch of shows, Living in the Dead and all these other shows. And, yeah. and then I realized I wasn't really being creative anymore. I was the numbers guy. Um, so uh, I was budgeting, I was putting oh, days and stuff, but what yeah. was very cool was I got a full spectrum of the entire process. So in about 2011, I decided to make my first short film. I made an animated short first called Fubar Redux, which was yeah. basically using a bunch of images of cats that I took. Yes, I'm a cat man, but I knew I had to do something that used compositing. So I took a loads of photographs and matte paint and put them together and created two and a half. Do you remember that technique I was telling you about yeah, two and a half? Yeah. So that was, became my first short film. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm going to be hired by Pixar. No, I didn't get hired at all. And um, Really? Yeah. I mean, it was great. Wait, what did you do? Because the, the, you know, the film's fantastic. The short film's fantastic. <laughs> the animation. Nice. What did you do with it? Did you put it in festivals? Yeah, it was actually nominated at the short film, at the short film corner award in Cannes. Sure. So that's, so they flew me out to Cannes. I gave a talk about it. it it was great. I got to experience can yeah. that way, which is cool. In the industry, everyone's like, oh my God, you're the guy who did the cat and dog video. Yeah, that mm-hmm. was cool. Um, <laughs> cat and dog, yeah, yeah, I know. It looks, it's got a name, it's okay? It's got a name. <laughs> I'm not what? just the cat and dog but guy. <laughs> I'm the Batman nipple guy. <laughs> yeah, don't forget that. Um, no, but what was really cool was that some of the reviews that were coming out of it was like, it was like an you know, Animal Farm meets Platoon or if wow. Michael Bay made a movie with cats and dogs, that's what it looked like. And I'm a that's big Michael brilliant. Bay fanatic. So I'm yeah. like, oh my God. But the the feedback I was getting back from producers and people like you need to like show you can work with live action and work mm, with actors yeah, and yeah. tell stories traditional I mean that's very cool but that's if you want to get a job in game cinematics which I've done already yeah, yeah. so around 2012 I was yeah. still working in the documentary with Discovery BBC History Channel and so on so I was surrounded by documentary editors I was in the edit bay till two in the morning trying to you know make it work mm-hmm. um, so I kind of got a good sensibility of how to tell documentary stories and narratives and how to put one together but I also love science fiction so I decided to make a fake documentary called Project Kronos this mm. is around 2012 yeah yeah and I'm like, okay, I have a thousand pounds that I saved up for my little kitty at my visual effects job. I've got a MacBook Pro on my laptop and I know compositing. With that, you can conquer the world. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. I didn't want to do full CGI because I didn't really come from a background where I could model a creature that looked really good. I mean, I knew how to do it, but I wasn't very good That's at it. That's a whole separate job. It's a whole separate job. Exactly. And you need rendering and so on. So I went on the NASA website and literally raked the entire NASA archive and just downloaded everything. Oh, I've used it before. It's so yeah. cool. Yeah. It's so, so we get 4K footage now. It's amazing. Yeah. So filmmakers Wait, out there, you yeah. can use NASA for free as long as you credit them. So it's, I yeah, can't see, forget. It's even it's even detailed than that, dude. Oh, go on. Yeah, you can't. You can use the footage, but if you want to use it commercially, you can't use any footage with the NASA logo on, and you can't use any footage with people's faces on. So what I did, being a composite, was I painted out the logos and replaced it with my own logo, the you space agency genius. logo. So one of the things I did was I told a story about <laughs> putting human consciousness in a ball and sending it out into space. Thirty years later, we get a signal back, and the signal is uh, first contact with extraterrestrials and mm. we we now have the technology to decipher um the brain signals into pictures so project chronos was kind of like a fake documentary about that i then went to um some events kind of like rain dance events and so on and met a bunch of actors who loved Fubar redux and i'm like hey listen i'm gonna i'm doing a fake documentary do you want to be in it they go yeah okay sure and i wrote the script and a lot of them end up becoming the actors in my feature they version are, of yeah. it yeah Nolene Kaminsky, Nolene Kaminsky, one, yeah. Georgina. yeah yes. all those guys and they came in they really trusted me 
I'm pretty sure they thought I was crazy at the time. But nah. like they they trusted me. You go, we're just gonna roll with this guy because yeah, he just, seems he seems pretty seems cool. nice he keeps and genuine. Batman. So let's, let's <laughs> I did not drop shit. that actually. That, that's the only not. time I never name dropped. I felt I didn't want to be I didn't want to be that guy, yeah, that douche. Yeah. Um, right, yeah, exactly. Yeah, sure. um, but they found out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I remember shooting that and um, I had so much fun because I was still working in visual effects. Yeah. Um, but here's the thing. I, I made that movie, Project Chronos, just something to get out of my system as a filmmaker. You know, I, I, one of my favorite movies is the Robert Zemeckis movie called um, Contact. Yeah, Contact. Mm. So it's amazing a very heavy influence. And E.T. Yeah. So heavy influence on that, on Project Chronos. And you can, when you watch it, you can tell the elements in there. Mm-hmm. And I put the trailer on Vimeo and the thing went viral and people were ringing me up. Studios in L.A. were ringing me up. Every agency with every acronym you can think of, CAA, WME, UTA, and so on, <laughs> ringing me up. I was getting phone calls at like 11 p.m. at night and 1 a.m. in the morning. Because, hey, are you in Santa Monica? Like, I'm like, first of you, dial the UK number. Mm. And, and secondly, um, <laughs> no, I'm based in the UK. They're like, but we just assume you're American. I'm like, why is that? In fact, 90% of the people that I spoke to assume I was a U.S. based. Because firstly, most of the people in the film had American accents. Mm-hmm. Secondly, I gave it that American gloss where I crank up the saturation, yep. add a few lens oh, flares. Teal and, and orange. Teal and orange, baby. <laughs> That's what it's about. Michael Bay. I had managers going, look, we want to sign you, but don't wow. release a short film yet. And I was literally about to press upload on Vimeo. Of course. Literally, literally about to. The, 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 I'm like, oh, uh, I was just about to upload. He goes, well, we have some notes. So we had one manager who ended up <laughs> signing with. Notes. Yeah, and it was interesting. So one of the managers, a guy called Scott Glasgow, who ended up signing with, yeah. with um, a company called I Am Entertainment, which then became mm. Ground Control. Yeah. And um, he said, listen, I love this short film, but I have some notes. Do you, I've written it. It's up to you to take them or leave them. And I'm like, well, being a visual vet supervisor, I've seen that notes process. So I'm like, they're just notes. And they were really good notes. They were actually really good notes. And since I was editing and VFX and everything, I'm like, why not just try them out? Mm. So I tried them out and, it, and a lot of it was length, you know, tightening it up. Tightening it up, sure. Yeah, sure. You know, keeping it, you know, removing, trimming it. Yeah, you know, kill your darlings. Totally, sort of thing, and it's right? hard to do, but you need Absolutely. to do it. Absolutely, and he reacted really well. He goes, wow, this is great because most filmmakers are like, screw you, who are you? And, but I, I'm like, I took him on. And some of them I didn't agree with, but, you know, I made it work. Yeah. The thing got like over a million views in like the few weeks it came out with. First showing, Variety, all the Hollywood brilliant, reporter covered brilliant, it. Brilliant. I'm like, oh my God. And then there was a bidding war. What's a bidding war was my first question. It's basically, for those who don't know what a bidding war is, it's basically where all the studios are fighting to option your movie or your property, your yeah. IP. It's right? a good place to be in. It's a good place to yeah. be in. I had, remember, I was a fish out of water. I had no idea what was going on. I, I worked in visual effects as a VFX guy. This is completely new territory for me. Totally. You know, agents, managers, what? If you've ever seen the Antiques Roadshow... <laughs> It's very similar. You know when the <laughs> bidding on a teacup is very much like that? It's perhaps a little more like that, high stakes, Charles. Right. Maybe a bit more mm. yeah, right. than, than Sunday that. evening right, BBC. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so you're in this bidding one. I was now. in this bidding you're one. You're going, what the and, fuck? Yeah, and several studios are bidding on it. And eventually a company <laughs> called Bender Spink end up um, taking Great name. On. Great name. Great yeah. name. Let's um, say that ben, again. Bender Spink. Bender please, Spink. thank you. <laughs> it's basically one of the owners is... Um, called um, Jake Bender and the other one's called JC Spink. They came on as producers and um, a company called Armory Films who are still making great movies and they came on to finance it. So I'm like, oh my God, this is it. I made it. I'm making my first feature. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I was in development. They gave me some money to write the script. I'm like, I'm getting paid. Getting paid for... to write a script. I know, I'm like, what? But check it out. I'm not a frigging writer. I'm a director. <laughs> so, so I'm going to my manager. I'm like, hey, um, they, they want to write a director, but I, don't, I, don't, I can write a short. I don't think I can write a feature. Yeah. 
Dude, this is book called Save the Cat. Just read that a million times. That, it pretty much sort you out. Seriously? One of the things I realized, and I took a trip to LA, I met all the studios, like Fox, Paramount, so on, and but they all had Save the Cat on their desk. So I'm like, there's a reason why these guys have it, because it's simplicity. Yes. Yeah, you know, as we all, you know, for those who have read the book, you guys can appreciate that. You know, if you go for every single page, you're like, there's a connection to every movie out there. You know, the inciting so instance, the arc, and so on. Yeah. So, so, so that's what you did. You actually do that? Did you sit and go, right, okay, I'm going to do my beginning, middle, and end? Much. Did you jot it out with notes? Absolutely. That's exactly what I did. That's Tell ex- me more. Tell me what well, did you do? Basically, I mean, every, every every writer has their own way, and mm-hmm. I still use the same system. But I have a big whiteboard, and I pretty much kind of like do mini cards and flow charts. But I kind of map out the entire movie in a flow chart, and in within ten minutes, if I can tell the whole movie yes. in ten minutes, then I know I've got a movie. And um, and then from there, I start branching out. And I think that stems from my computer bra- programming background because in programming you have to flow chart. It's right? very structural. Yeah. It's very structural. Yeah, yeah. So I think having that you know health my writing but i learned the hard way which means there was no honeymoon period it was like that shit do it again really i don't believe that character red line i don't care how long you spent on this 80 page you're doing it again Uh, and i'm glad i learned that way and you're learning to work with studio executives to give notes and sometimes they'll give you notes like you know we really want the alien to really have a prominent feature we're like dude it's um, a high concept you're not supposed (laughs) to see the alien they're like yeah we still need to see an alien I'm like, okay. So that was, that, was a, oh. that was a good experience. But check this out. So I'm still working in visual effects. I'm yeah. still, so I'm like, two years go by. So this is around 2015. In that two years, I was hired by Paramount to write an anthology. I was hired by Fox to write um, an underwater project. So I was, yeah, I was working as a writer. Wait, you, you're now a fully paid screenwriter. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the Paramount one, I got paid. Fox, it was on spec. Okay. Um, with Fox is like, we're Fox. Yeah, yeah we're Fox. Spec. So what the Fox? Um, but yeah. 2015, we got to a point where the option lapsed and they were going to do what you call turnaround mm-hmm. where they renew it. And I'm like, okay, what are we doing? Because at that point, we've written a film and they bought another writer on to polish it. And that was probably my favorite part of the process where I got to collaborate with other writers. And that's when I realized that I'm not really a writer writer. I'm a director that writes at a necessity. Mm-hmm. But once another writer comes on to polish it, it's like, oh my God, yeah. it's like way better yes. than what I could ever do. That's exactly what I wanted. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> You just did it better. <laughs> Exactly. But it, I love the collaboration. I just love that. It's to me, yeah. I, I thrive on the collaboration. So did that writer kind of give you some quite hard questions about like, what's this character That's for? exactly what it is. You've nailed it right there. It's the questions they ask. And as a filmmaker, that's the things that I thrive on. And anyone that I work with is I would love them to question it. And, you know, because if they question it, it puts me, it challenges me. And if I don't know the answer, that means, whoa, there's a problem here if I don't know the answer to it. I made a couple of short films where I had done Sync, which was um, the last short film I did, which is about um, cyberterrorism and a robot. And that got Vimeo staff pick. Yeah. Sony were very interested in it. I remember pitching that on the day they were hacked. Um, really? so you can, yeah, you can imagine the pitch oh. was, you should have hired a sink. That was my pitch. And then another short called Iris, which is about drones. But those are both great little shorts. And you can see them both on Vimeo now. You can see right? them both on Vimeo. Yep. Um, so Project Kronos got Vimeo staff pick. Iris didn't. Um, Iris is on CG Bros, which is a YouTube website, which does all this high end. And also Dust, a website Dust. called Dust. Yeah, we know so Dust, Dust covers well. all of my stuff. Mm. Um, and Sync, obviously, got Vimeo staff pick. And um, that's been developed into a feature and so on. But here's the thing. I was still working in visual effects. I hadn't made a feature. I got to a point where I'm like, I need to make a feature. Or I'm going to go crazy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I can't make any more short films. And, and people are going to forget about you and say, oh, he only does VFX and shorts. You got it. Yeah. That's exactly what it was. Mm-hmm. And it became, it became, it really stressed me out to a point. Where I remember telling my partner, like, I need to make a freaking film. Mm. So here comes the best bits of the story. So basically, I had some money set aside to buy a house. 
So you know where this is going, right? Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, oh it's going no. there. We're going there. Oh, and um, is so, she listening to this? Does she know? Does she know? <laughs> yeah, she does. It's oh, okay, all good. Fine. It's all good. Uh, we have a good relationship where I can tell her stuff. But anyway, I remember at the time I was like, hey, you know, hypothetically speaking, yeah, if, if I was to use that money to make a movie, because you know, I really need to make a movie, she's like, No, let's just buy the house. Yeah. Um, but then eventually she was like, Look, if you really want to make this movie and you think you can make it work, you may as well do it. Um, yeah. You know, just just don't fuck it up. <laughs> that was the pressure. Yeah, and, um, and that's probably more pressure than a studio executive 100%. is having your missus tell you not to screw it up. I got the people that I worked together on my short films. So yes. notably my cinematographer, Adam Bachelor, mm. who's worked on most of my short films. And I brought him on board to do um, The Beyond. Uh, at the time, The Beyond, which is my first feature, was called The Void at the time. When Ben the Spink and Armory Films were saying, listen, we want to renew the turnaround, the, the option, I yeah. said, uh, no. I'm going to like, what are we doing, guys? I go, well, you know, we got a script. I'm like, it's $30 million to make that movie. Mm. It's Gravity meets Interstellar. Yeah. Who's going to be a first-time director that amount of money? Totally. Like, I don't think yeah. it's going to happen, guys. Yeah. like, okay, Only well, Peter Jackson is yeah. the kind of person who would do that with... Uh, with Neil Blomkamp. Yeah, yeah. Right, exactly. Right. <laughs> so um, so I got to a point, I'm like, listen, guys, I'm going to take the, the IP away. But obviously, I'm not going to make the movie that you guys wrote me, you, know, you guys pay me to write the script for because that's illegal. You can't do that. I'm going to go back to what made the short film cool. I'm going to go and make it as a fake documentary, but the feature-length version. And they were so cool. They're like, you know what? We bless it. We welcome it. Good luck. It's great. Keep us in touch. Yeah, if there's anything we can do to help, please do let us know. Yeah. And it was super nice. And that's another thing. Be nice. Yes, it helps. It really does. So um, important. I remember sitting in Weatherspoons, which is a, a great wow. establishment for like having a drink and food. Glamorous filmmaking life. Other, you other pubs to... are available. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and in fact, I'd recommend other pubs <laughs> that are available. But anyway, you're in Weatherspoons. Please don't eat the food there. Carry wow. on. I'll just, I'll just add that to the list of the podcast enemies that, we, <laughs> that we've accrued over Absolutely. the Absolutely. We won't be sponsored by Weatherspoons anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> so basically i remember sitting there i was really depressed and i remember telling adam bachelor i'm like tell him all the problems all the stuff i'm telling you about yes. all the frustration I'm like, i just gotta make something and adam's like and i still remember this about this day i remember adam go listen mate i've got a great job doing corporate so i can i've got your back if you want me to shoot something in the middle of the night i'm gonna shoot something in the middle of the night just go out and write a freaking great story yeah so and i was like well funny you should say that i had a script already so what Boom. happened was remember i was telling you i was doing the bender spink one which is 30 million mm-hmm you know, you have this gut instinct inside you thinking, I don't know if this is going to pan out. I'm just going to write it. Mm-hmm. So I kind of started writing a version based on the fake documentary version, which is an extended short film version. Brilliant idea. And yeah, yeah. you just got to have a, and that's another a little tip. insurance policy. Yeah. Insurance totally. policy. Plan B. Always have a plan Always. B. Don't put all your eggs on basket. No, have it's another great. script. Have another exactly. project ready. Because that one, you, you know, I did that with my first project and all I was doing was waiting for the phone to ring on that project. Right. And we had Jason Statham attached to that for six months. Wow. And that, but that was like part of the three-year process. But Absolutely. all that time, I was like waiting for someone to call me. Right. I should have been working on other projects and getting stuff done. Now I've got five, well, that, six projects. I mean, so what important. you said is exactly what other film directors told me as well. Mm. So again, being a VFX soup, I became friends with certain directors. So I just rang them up. I said, listen, I'm going to do it. I'm going to make my first feature. They go, cool, man. Who's financing? <clears throat> I am. They're like, oh, okay. <laughs> okay, what do you need? I'm like, what, what I, give me some tips. You know, that's another thing I always encourage is like, you know, like me being on this podcast talking to you guys. Mm. It's great because it's every filmmaker has their own story. Every filmmaker may have a nugget of advice or just something in their experience that could help you. So I spoke to a bunch of like directors and commercial directors, like TV and so on. And they all said like, yeah, you just always have a backup plan. Just like, so don't, don't stay on that. I mean, it's great. Hollywood's there for you, but it's a process. Or as the Americans say, it's a process. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, yeah. So, so how's things with 
flying at the moment, you know, in that terms of you, you're constantly working, things are going well. You've now written this script. You're ready. You give it to Adam, your yeah. DOP. And he, and he was like, wow, this is ambitious. Yeah. And I told him how I wanted to shoot it. I want to shoot like a fake documentary. He goes, okay, but is this found footage? I'm like, no, we're not doing found footage. We're doing a documentary that's going to look slick. So he, he was on board regardless. He, this is the guy that shot Sync. This is the guy that, you know, that shot Iris. So he was like on board for anything. He was like, I'm, I'm with you. I'm a huge fan. And that's, that's what you want. And, you want. and that's something to collaborate. Mm. You want people that believe in the story, but also people that will question you. And he constantly questions me as a DP. And this is great to work with. Mm. But also he worked in corporate. So he's used to shooting interviews and so on. Another th- advice I'll give any filmmaker also, if you're making your short film and stuff, and you don't have much money, is try to get technology sponsorship. So that's one of the things I did over my short films is mm. I teamed up with people of Adobe. I teamed up with Blackmagic Camera. And, um, and it, I have to say, it's not all about take, take, take. Give me your cameras for free. Give me your lenses. You've got to give something back in return. Mm-hmm. And I did a lot of PR for them. did a lot of promotion for them. I went to IBC and gave talks for Adobe. I went to give talks for Blackmagic. So when it came to my feature, I just rang up all those guys. I said, listen, I'm doing my feature. What can you do to help me out? I don't have much money, but I can do a big PR thing for you. I can help promote it. I can help showcase it. You know, I'll even do, I let you have some of the footage that doesn't make it in the film and so on. Mm-hmm. And they all came on board. Brilliant. They helped me out massively. So, you know, Adobe, Simon Williams over at Adobe, Stuart and Patrick over at Black Magic, name drop. But these guys were just amazing. And obviously my visual effects contacts as yeah. well. That's so, really good advice as well, because um, tech companies are really trying to position themselves now right. to show that they're storytellers as well. Or their technology they're bringing out yeah. like, is being used by... A lot of independent filmmakers. Totally. And yeah. to see the fact that you're making this sci-fi stuff, and they're going, yeah, that was shot on our camera, is cool. Or it's that cool. Was, exactly. It's a great case study. Yeah. 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 And that's exactly what it was. It was case study. They it literally got free case study. But to them, case study is powerful, right? Mm. So... Uh, the whole 2016, so I shot it. We shot in Iceland. We shot in Malaysia. We shot in London. So how did I shoot in? Yeah, how did you how get did to those places? Places? How did you fly Okay, there? so how one did... of the visual effects guys that I was working with, a guy called Alexandra. Um, I was going to he... say, NASA archive? <laughs> <laughs> there was a lot of NASA archives. Oh, for sure. And there's a quick story on how I managed to get sign-off. Because remember... Project Kronos was not a commercial movie. It was a short movie. Yeah. So I can use whatever can get, I want. You can get away with get it. Away There's no it. money this, really involved. This is a commercial movie. Yeah. This is going to be distributed. Mm-hmm. And as you all know, and for those who don't know, when you set, when you sell your movie, there's this thing called paperwork. Yes. And there's a lot of paperwork. Oh, there's a lot. And one of the uh-huh. paperwork is clearances yep. and footage clearances. And they really want stuff signed off. Yep. So I remember ringing up NASA you know, like after the Beyond was done. I was like, hey, listen, we've got a great distribution company. We just need to sign off. They're like, oh, yeah, we're not, we don't do that. I'm like, what do you mean? Well, you know, Ridley Scott came to us earlier on in the in the day with the martian but you've done your movie and now you're to sign it off i'm like okay this could really screw me here so yeah. i remember getting on the phone to the guys and they were really understandable i'm like why don't you just watch the film and tell me what footage i can't use go we're not going to do that so what i did was i went through the shots and kind of create the reel of all the stuff i used and um and they came back and this is the funny thing is they signed off the visuals they signed it all off there's one shot there was a reflection of the astronaut that i just comped on the ref- more reflections but the thing they came back with which is funny was the sound they're like well yeah you've clearly used um recordings from nasa check it out guys those are all made you made just up. Go, this, yeah and it's actors it was the actors yeah it was, it was just yeah, foley yeah, yeah it, was, foley, it was foley yeah. but also the dialogue as well because i read transcripts and transcript of the apollo mission the space shuttle challenger mm. missions so i i wrote the script based on like you would make when you make a documentary you sure. keep it as factual as possible so the dialogue the language the terminology the tech were all realistic and then the sound guys over at pin drop i did all the foley and stuff they assume it was real so I literally had to strip back everything and say, no, we made this up. So let's tell yeah. our listeners what the film is about, because then we can drop sure, the trailer. Sure, sure. So, so the Beyond, obviously, it's loosely based on my short film, Project Kronos. It's basically about 
it's set in a not distant future where we take the future of astronauts, where you download astronauts' consciousness into a synthetic body, kind of like RoboCop, right? And what happened was in the movie is um, they make contact with a wormhole that's appeared quite close to our planet and they decide to send astronauts through the wormhole to find out what's on the other side. But when those astronauts come back, they come back with memories and recordings which could potentially change the future of humanity as we know it. And this whole documentary chronicles that journey, chronicles the findings, chronicles the footage and chronicles the consequences of doing such projects like sending human consciousness through a wormhole. And it's all told in a very contact-esque, interstellar-esque vibe and it's all very grounded. So the whole idea of this film, it has to feel very grounded. So that was essentially my task. And I'm really glad I did it as a documentary because I think if I tried to do it as a full-on cinematic movie, it would end up looking like a B movie. So having that documentary vibe really helped ground it. Yeah, it's quite a savvy use of the form for totally the resources you had available. To understand the classified nature of this mission and the legal non-disclosure agreements that you sign, which prohibit you from ever discussing this project to anyone outside of this room, I understand. And you understand the full nature of this program? Yes, I'm fully aware. This is light and cosmic matter entering and leaving. So what we're potentially looking at here is a wormhole. And we believe that this activity uh, occurred at the same time as the strange dark orbs that have been appearing in our skies. Talking about probably one of the most important things that has happened in space exploration. And I think we need to move forward on that. I think we need to move forward now. We could be looking at first contact with intelligent life. possibility of something else out there for us it changes everything it's that simple notion which drives the human 2.0 project we, we could not have been more wrong about all of this For you filmmakers out there that are going to embark on your film, no one cares how you made the movie. Mm-hmm. No one cares. Sure. You know, if you got, no one cares. It's the end result that matters. Yeah. So for me, I didn't want people to go into, oh, that's that movie made for X amount. It's a low budget movie. I wanted people to come in. That's a movie we're going to watch. And it's a documentary. Yes. That's what I wanted. So that's why we never mentioned the budget. We never mentioned the making of or anything like although it's a great making of mm-hmm. which you can watch yes but we really want to be able to accept it so when it came to distribution i remember ringing up all of my contacts at paramount legendary all those guys and said listen i've heard distribution companies screwing filmmakers you know especially on their first movie for me i'd rather go over a distribution company that's going to get it out there i'm not talking theatrical here i'm talking like vod but i want it i want people to see yeah, this you movie. want the beyond out there you want people I wanted to see it, it out there exactly totally, yeah. and um and there was a company called gravitas ventures gravitas yeah right yeah. They're, they're great and i remember seeing a movie called um the nightmare which was distributed in, by gravitas it's basically um a movie about sleep paralysis but it's told in a cinematic documentary way mm. and it was 
it was everywhere. It was on iTunes, it was, and then eventually on Netflix. I'm like, this movie's everywhere. Who is the distribution company? And it was Gravitas. So I reached out to them. They saw a, they saw a rough cut of the movie, by the way. And they're like, we freaking love this. And, and by that time, there's other distribution companies that were making better offers with MGs. Now, for those of you who don't know what MG is, MG is a minimum guarantee. It's kind of like, you know, an advance they pay you. Mm-hmm. And um, so Gravitas didn't give a massive advance or an MG compared to the others. But what these guys did was they really pushed the movie out. They believed they in it. They knew how they could sell it. They and knew. you believed in them about exactly. how people could hear about exactly. this movie. And that's more important. That's than, way more important. Yeah, than a little bit of extra money here. It's all about people seeing your movie. Because sure. then you can work again. For sure. Exactly. And what was interesting is Scott Kaplan, who's the guy at Gravitas. Mm-hmm. He's a sci-fi nerd. So Brilliant. we ended up jumping on the phone. And it didn't feel like I was talking to the distribution company. It felt like I was talking to a nerd. And um, Scott Kaplan, <laughs> respect, dude. Paula Crickard, who's now my business partner, she was hired to be the post-producer on Origin. She watched um, The Beyond. She goes, this is a really cool movie, but have you screen tested it? I'm like, am I what? <laughs> what now? <laughs> Did you not know? At that point, you were like, you didn't know what that meant. Like, right, yeah, everyone okay. loved the movie. Just go release it. You, go, you should screen test it. And there's three common threads that came back. The first one was, and this was at the time, so this is not the movie that's out on Netflix at the moment, but the, the movie that yeah, at the time we screen tested was like, what are we watching? Are we watching a sci-fi thriller or we're watching a documentary because here's the thing it starts off with this amazing shot of earth and these meteorites and you got this alien contact thing in space it looks gorgeous and then you cut to this documentary we're confused what the hell so <laughs> pick the format and stick with it so i'm like okay and um and the other feedback that came back was it looks too good to be a documentary it looks way too good to be a documentary it, it looks too slick it looks like a you know it's because my visual effects background yeah, yeah, yeah. rendered totally. at high well, resolution that, that's a compliment right yeah. like, that's what but I was not, aiming not for not with this right so you then had to basically dirty up your kind <laughs> of you? your image did you is that what you did well that was originally the plan but we had 570 plus visual effects shots in the movie by that time Gravitas Ventures signed on to distribute the movie they're okay. going to release it in three months time wow so I'm like okay I could just go ahead and release it and say okay thanks a lot for the notes and move on mm-hmm. or I can be a bit smart about this since I'm the editor of the movie. Mm-hmm. Why not just try those notes out? And um, so what we did was we, and I really did agree. When you look at it again, you're like, oh my God, it does start off really cool. And then it goes into the document. It was very jarring. So one of the things I did was I'm like, how am I going to get 550 plus visual effect shots dumbed down? Or And here's the thing. People think you, you do a fake documentary. The visual effects are easy. No, they are harder. If you to do, If I was to make that movie as a slick cinematic traditional movie the visual effects would have been easier because it looks slick because, because it it's a look- tried and tested formula right right but with documentary the visual effects can't pop out and like what you were saying earlier about good visual effects mm. are the ones that are seamless and clearly the audience was was bothered by it because well, this has taken us away you know i thought this is a document i don't feel this is real now you're just this is a mockumentary if anything uh, okay. and i didn't want to be a mockumentary so i remember ringing up adam and say hey listen like Come around my house on the weekend, um, bring your black magic camera, the 4K Ursa, and, um, <laughs> and bring lots of black drapes and, uh, and a tripod. He's like, okay, this is another social call. Uh, oh, yeah, bring a 50mm lens I with you as well. I that long to get <laughs> Yeah, really another social call. I had my Mac Retina screen. I had all the visual effects shots screened um, on loop. I had my camera and the lenses, and I front projected all the visual effects back in the camera, which meant that I can do at a focus. I can have a better handheld. Oh. All the imperfections that were missing in my visual effects shot, I can put back in the camera. So now when you put those visual effects shots which were filmed in camera next to the documentary. It looks like it's the same documentary crew that shot the talking heads, Got shot you. the space scenes, shot the human 2.0 scenes. Wow. So, so clever. That's and, very clever and yeah, a very old school technique. Very old school. That thing's been going since the 30s, front projection, right? But here's the thing. It's because I was desperate. 
And it's because I was, it's, it's the mother necessity, right? You just, you just have to do whatever it takes. I think if I had all the money in the world and time, I probably wouldn't have done that. And I wouldn't be able to think outside the box. So for me to make that movie in such a shoestring budget and very restricted, yes, was frustrating, but at the same time, it made me the filmmaker I am today. Because yeah, it allowed me yeah. to think of smart things. And I want to continue to be able to think of out of the box approach. Yes. So flash forward 2018, um, January, the movie is released on iTunes. Here's another thing as well, distribution companies, and there's not poo-pooing on distribution companies because no. obviously we love them. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, they make a lot of money because they inflate their costs. They would inflate the costs on the poster. They would inflate the costs on the trailer. So I kind of eliminated those costs. Before signing a contract, I'm, like, I'm doing the poster and I'm doing the trailer. You did the poster? Um, I mocked up the poster in Photoshop Whoa. and then I hand it over to Territory Studios who are way better and they just kind of like the script writing process. Sure, yeah. And they'll you make just it polish better. it. The trailer, again, I cut the trailer myself because I grew up watching trailers. I love trailers. I was that teenager that would be on, on Apple iTunes, yeah, Apple, on, on the Apple trailer yeah. just down there waiting for oh, yeah, the yeah, stream. Remember that? Yes. Remember that? Yeah. yeah, so I was that guy too. So The, the buffering was the always buffering. like... <sighs> I don't know what was going on because it was QuickTime, I guess. They it, were, yeah, yeah, it was yeah. QuickTime. Most inefficient coder. It was horrid, I remember. Before we get to 2036 Origin Unknown, tell us about how it felt directing your first feature, because that's something that I think we don't want to gloss over, because it feels, for me, it felt amazing. I want to know how it felt for you and what you went through. Um, It was, I mean, all the words amazing, great, but also daunting at the same time, Mm -hmm. because here's the thing, putting my own money in the movie is probably what made the experience worth it. Because I would not waste a single penny on that movie on anything, at all. Yeah, food, I would anything. quiz it. Do we need that additional camera? Do we need that additional yes. flight case box? Do all yeah. those Apple crates? Do we need those additional? Do we need that additional crew? Mm-hmm. So a lot of it was very guerrilla way we made it. But what was great? What I think the thing that I took away from it is the collaboration, working with DP, working with the team, and um, working with the great actors and actresses that I knew already. Yes, uh, but also editing films. the movie in the hotel in the evening and going out the next day. It's how we had the assembly cut all the time. You know now. You know, I've done a big Disney show. I've done a, I've done other movies since then, and I'm doing bigger projects. But I still look back at the Beyond as being kind of like my thing because mm. it was like it was my baby. But also everything that made me like who I am today came from that movie. I totally get. You that. know what I mean, right? Yeah, because there's no, there's no one. You have nothing to compare it to. No. So therefore, you're just going in blind. But you also had no one to tell you. No one to tell it. you to do it. You like, oh, <laughs> no one's saying I'm doing this right or wrong. Just, just we we just went, we just went along with it totally. and we made it. So yeah. that that was cool. That was yeah, really good. Cool. But you know, I learned so much working on the Beyond from dis- from making the movie to distribution mm-hmm. to sound mixing. We end up getting a grade done at Dolby. The colorist who worked on Gravity graded the movie for us. Really? Yep. This um, is nice. And was this you just again asking? No, this was um, Paula Crickard who was who we're already you know we're already getting prepped for origin unknown yeah. you know he was going listen you should get a good colorist i'm like okay i've done a rough grade <laughs> again i always do a rough grade but he, and we got this guy called max horton who i didn't know worked on gravity by the way and no one told me so i'm in the room in dolby saying hey you know can you make those space scenes more like gravity for me you know here's some <laughs> references and he was like yeah you know i worked on that right i'm like yeah sure i'm looking at imdb <laughs> oh shit and i turn around and everyone's laughing this is a bit like your cast i imagine on your first short when you just turn to them and said can you just make it more like Christian Bale for me? Um, yeah, because I did work on Batman. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, I mean, it was great, and Black Black Magic pulled through. I mean, it was it was a good it was a good case study on how to make a movie where 
it's all about collaboration but also technically you have to be collaborating with black magic and adobe and all those guys as well yeah and, did you um, do a kind of da vinci resolve masterclass then on how we how yeah, we graded I mean, the I film ended up editing the movie in da vinci resolve as well oh called, did you so we've, we've talked about making a movie but what about releasing the movie mm-hmm. okay so like i said it was made on a shoestring budget um some of the visual effects people everyone got paid by the way here's another thing i have a rule where i have to pay people yep. because yeah, it's yeah. a commercial movie but also i was that guy who did visual effects are free and and the directors of producing go, oh we'll get you on the next one and they never do mm-hmm. and for whatever reason so that's christopher nolan yeah no yeah, yeah. no 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 i'll pay for that <laughs> <laughs> next one mate i promise you <laughs> next one, fine. little shit <laughs> <laughs> we always camera. um no um so everyone was paid but i remember the visual effects companies squint opera and Fillmore, which is based in amsterdam who i worked for um those guys rendered the human 2.0 cg so we would have my, my small vfx team animating and i would do a lot of the shading and stuff as well and john sellins who's a the amazing vfx supervisor that was another experience as well i can i shouldn't vfx supervise my own film because i've got a lot on my mind so bringing yeah, on yeah. some like john sellins on board who i've worked with and he's a vfx suit was great and he you know, he looked after everything he made it all happy it was really great to work with but i couldn't pay the vfx houses their full rate like you know to render those things you know perfectly photorealistic by the mm. way so this had this can't look like a computer game um it had to look fairly real so but because hans van helden the guy who, who used to run um Fillmore, who's now over at netflix he was like listen yeah you know, i want to support your career so you know wh- whatever money you have if it's 10 grand whatever you know we'll take that and you know put the rest in deferred and most people would know deferred never get paid we don't know that. so going on the yeah. beyond now the release right yeah. we, get, we get something called sales report every quarter so we got our first sales report in april 2018 and we from had gravitas from gravitas yep. and they apparently had to double check as well we had covered our entire budget and we we're moving to profit in the first quarter in the first quarter second quarter in wow. july comes in we're in profit so what i did was i then bought bring up the visual the house <laughs> or two no it wasn't that much um but um i remember ringing up the visual effects houses and some of the people that i promised to first say hey guys um can you send me an invoice for this um for this amount they're like what for it's a deferred payment they're like dude we kind of wrote it off we 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 do that on a lot of films. Well, in that case, <laughs> what, no. let's keep that. Ri- <laughs> no, oh, but- sorry, wrong number. <laughs> no hat blowing glaze. <laughs> no, I I couldn't do that. Here's no, the of thing. course you can't. No, but, also, You've got no, but also, I just assume that's the right thing to do. I thought it, it was is. a legally yeah. binding thing. I, it was only later on other producers were telling me, like, you know, you didn't have to pay them. They write that thing off as R and D. But I'm like, <sighs> it just didn't feel right. Well, of course it wouldn't. Right? If you were so, there wandering around going, I made all this money, and then you have to work with them again. Exactly. Come on. And some of them, like especially Adam Bachelor, who I was, you know, I end up like financing his short film that he's doing at the moment. Mm. But he wouldn't take any money if he goes, no, it's all right, bro, it's all right, bro. I'm like, take my money. I let you take my money. money. So yeah. yeah, but that was before Netflix came on. So in August, Netflix gives us a call. Hey, you don't have UK, US, Canada streaming rights. I'm like, no. And and Gravitas like, well, okay, well we'll do a deal so they gave me a deal which was a really nice deal for 12 months so wow. we were super in profit so what i did with all the money was i set up a production company and we start, set up other productions going and we you know we're doing other projects at the moment but while all of that was happening i was shooting with a really amazing star called katie sackoff katie on, sackoff on was amazing. Unknown. and um, she was interesting because she read the script and she was like i i i think this is cool i think it's very smart i haven't done sci-fi since Battlestar, but um, i don't know if i should do this like and because at the time I was still a first time oh by the way I was still a first time director because the Beyond hadn't come out oh yeah so people still think that which is and even though you can technically say you're not 
unless the like movie comes out, unless the movie comes out, it's still the first time. It's so yeah. harsh. Yeah. So I remember Katie Sackle's manager said, listen, just talk to the director. Within 20 minutes, you'll know if you want to do the project. So she got on a Skype call with me. Great. And she goes, I really love how you take grounded nature and you really appreciate actors. But here's the ultimate question. Why should I do this movie? Yeah. And I'm like, this is the question that's going to be answered that could literally make or break my second movie. This is, it's a scary question. It's a scary question. So I didn't pitch them the visual effects. I didn't pitch anything. All I pitched was... I've seen you in Battlestar Galactica. You're a badass. I've seen you in Chronicle of Riddick. Yep. You're a badass. And she was like, yeah, where are you going with this? You see all my films. Yeah. I'm like, just bear with me. In this movie, you're a worthless human being. You are weak and vulnerable. Oh, and by the way, the whole movie rests on your shoulders like Sam Rockwell in Moon because you have to overcome your demon of dealing with technology because the whole idea of Origin Unknown is in the future, NASA has fired everyone and replaced everyone with AI because they can run 100 missions, effectively zero human error. It's great. Mm -hmm. But they always leave one or two people if there was an Origin Unknown. And I've got the idea, queuing up for Tesco's, by the way, where I'm like sitting there standing there thinking... Where's all the lovely cashiers I used to talk to? Now it's all self-service checkout and there's one or two people there in case you have issues. So I kind of transitioned that into... Um, Brilliant. <laughs> that's exactly what it is. Yeah, thank you, Tesco's. And then and she was like... Other supermarkets are. And the other one. <laughs> so, yeah. So Kate was like, okay, I've never done this before. I've never done any of those things before. And I'm like, and that's why you should do it. Perfect. So she signed on the next day. So my tip to directors that are trying to get actors to come on board mm-hmm. your project, be true to your heart. Yeah, I spoke from the heart and I said, this is why I think you can make this, you should make this movie. This is why I think this movie would be great for you to lead in because you haven't done this before. And I, for one, would love to see how you would cope with such a scenario like that. Amazing. And that's the way. And you, you know, it's when you're a director, you are at the mercy of the actors because the actors are vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And in the case of Katie Sackle, she was vulnerable in that entire movie. She's in t- 95% of the movie. It's her. And what was that like then? Was, was working with someone like that who's a bigger star who's not worked in your shorts and suddenly, <laughs> suddenly now you've got to go, okay, I would like to do it differently. I'd like to do it. How did you work with her as a with, director, okay, with Katie, it was very interesting. We had a really, we would be on Skype every week. Yep. And we'll talk through it. Now, here's a funny story, real quick one. Basically, my producers at the time were like saying, don't tell Katie how you made the Beyond. I love improv. I love. That's, I kind of work my actors where I'm like, here's a script. Let's do, let's push it further. What else can we do? Mm. And with, with um, the Beyond, it was like, I was asking questions and I'll get a lot of the performances. So my producers at the time were like, and yeah, they're the super nice guys and they respectful and all that. But they're like, just don't tell them that you did that gorilla film because yeah, it's just, yeah, she's a star. So anyway, so we're in month four of our Skype relationship. And um, yeah, we'll go through the script. We, let, we essentially rewrote the script because it's her movie. It's on her shoulders. So mm. it was great to collaborate with that. And she really appreciated the fact that I was a director that allowed that level of collaboration. And then one day I said, listen, we're going to do this new thing where I'm going to be an interviewer. I'm going to do a day in the life of your character in the movie. So what's it like coming to work? What's it like hating robots? What's it like finding an original known? We did that for two hours. Wow. And it literally shaped the movie it was today so and cool. then she goes around because oh man i really wish more directors did more improv i'm like that's funny you say that because like my my producers they're like what's well, funny my manager said the same thing no way so i wow. don't know <laughs> great. so I, I mean that movie got a u.s theatrical release yes it was released last summer um, that was very cool. Uh, I don't know what numbers are doing because I'm not like a producer-producer on it. I'm nope. like a co-producer yeah. and they optioned it. But I heard it's, it got great reviews in LA Times. Yeah. It's a mix. I mean, there's mixed reviews. Like some people hate the movie because it's like, it's too dark and philosophical. I remember one reviewer going, oh my God, it's amazing. And then towards the end, the last 30 minutes, it's a trip. I'm like, yeah, that's the point. Yeah, that is the point. Origin Unknown is available in the UK. It's called 2036 Origin Unknown. It's available on Sky Movies. It's available on iTunes. Mm -hmm. It's on Netflix in the US, not in the UK yet. Okay. Um, Whereas 
the Beyond Center everywhere. <laughs> you yeah. get it anywhere. You can get the Beyond anywhere and, and do in. go watch it wherever Thank you can. You. Do it. And, but also, Origin Unknown got me my big TV gig. So I end up last year, I was in Vancouver for six months directing a TV show called Fast Lane. Mm-hmm. And that's very interesting because they had seen like clips that my manager would send them of the robot. Those of you who haven't seen Origin Unknown, go see the trailer. You'll clearly see I was inspired by Flight the Navigator. Yes. I love, I love that Flight movie. As a Flight the Navigator short circuit. The other day. Right. The Disney show is so different and in yeah. that sense to Origin Unknown yeah. or The Beyond because it is kids. It's kids and it's yeah. a talking car. It's a talking car. And it's not Knight Rider. Nope. It's 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 kids it's you know kids. it's disney show it's a disney show but how it's, amazing it's, right? and i shot and i shot the pilot which is a big i didn't know at the time but it's a big deal directing pilots in the u.s mm. uh, well it's your show then it's you your become show. the yeah owner and considering i never directed tv before so how did i get this gig okay so basically um they saw they they, they saw some clips and they said listen um it was really called herbie it was going to be a reboot of Herbie, but they tested oh. Herbie and what kids are like, we don't dig the love bug. They gave my manager a one page, no script, just a one page synopsis. And manager goes, is this a project you would love to do? I'm like, this is freaking awesome. It's a talking car. Yeah. So I went off and did a 50 page Bible. I cut a trailer. Oh. I did all, it's not like every day you get the picture of Disney, right? Yeah, so you yeah, may as well yeah. go full out. And I did it. And they're like, all we needed was an email say yes or no. Um, <laughs> but okay. So, so, so I was in LA in January, in a way, last year. And they said, listen, can you come into Disney? It'll be a small informal thing. Just just come and pitch us the thing because we, we love your pitch. But we know some of the executives would love to meet you. And and at the time, it wasn't to direct the pilot. It was just to direct a block. Yeah. I didn't had no idea. But they were like, um, you haven't read the scripts. How do you know what the car looks like? I'm, I'm just assuming what the car would look like. Because, no, but that's what we want. We want the car to look like that. How do you know some of these action sequences? I'm like, I just kind of assumed. I kind of made it up. So that was my pitch. So Brilliant. my advice to anyone is just whatever's in your mind, just say it out there. It, it doesn't hurt to have too much material when you're pitching at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so I remember going in there and remember they said it was a small informal thing. It yeah. wasn't a small informal thing. Floor 21 in Burbank on the Disney office. Okay. Right. It's the biggest meeting room you can think of. <laughs> there are 25 executives in there. My, some intern spent all night printing out my pitch deck, yeah. putting it on the table. Wow. I mean, it, the, you turn up in your Goonies t-shirt going, <laughs> Hey guys, I think I'm in the wrong room. <laughs> it really felt like that. I remember turning around the back and Rafael Garcia, who's the Disney executive, who's really championed for me to get that show. He was like, yeah, they heard you come from the UK. So they all came down to see you. And then I That's literally had to go in there. A and bunch of the guys are dressed in beef eater outfits. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One's dressed as the but queen. Here's the thing. They were like, look, they all love, they all, they all know you can pull this off. They're, they're just not convinced that you can do comedy. So off you go. I'm like, wait, I'm not Ricky Gervais. I can't do stand up. Like what the hell? <laughs> like, well, seriously? And they literally like door slam and I'm in there. I'm like, Hi oh, right. guys, and um, they were really lovely. They, they, you know, they started speaking about you know, can you get it done on this budget? Can you done it on the schedule? And again, I had no idea I was directing a pilot. I was just assuming that's what you do when you go direct a block of mm. TV. And then the showrunner Matt Dearborn, who's kind of like he worked on like Beverly Hills 90210. He's kind of mm-hmm. old school. Um, he was like, "Has he? Has he? Has he?" All I want to know is, can you do comedy? I'm like, damn it! For 20 minutes, I managed to avoid the comedy thing. <laughs> so they're like, now, "Here's my best joke." <laughs> so I'm like, "What do I? How do I?" I'm like, oh, well, "Would you want? I mean, comedy subjective? Because yeah, don't try that one." <laughs> so they said, "Okay, pick a scene from from the script." And by that time on, on the plane, they sent me the script. Fast Lane's about this girl called Lane mm-hmm. who's obsessed with scheduling, organization. She's a super perfect teenager, you know, 12-year-old. Her friend, who's a next-door neighbor called Zora, is the complete opposite. Homeschooled, hippie. Yeah, whatever it takes. Oh, don't do the exam. I don't do the exam. They both get together because they hear a noise in the shed. They go in the shed. They find the smart car. And you find out that the smart car was created by Lane's parents, who are scientists, for the military, and they're trying to hide it. It's a very Spielberg-esque vibe to it, Beautiful. very Amblin. And yeah. I love that. 
Yeah. So that's essentially my pitch. And I remember going in there and say, listen, my pitch is lethal weapon meets flight and navigator for kids in a car. That was my pitch. <laughs> Boom. You get two, get like two opposites night. in a car in the most chaotic environment. You're going to get Martin Lawrence and Will Smith. Yeah. You're going to get Mel Gibson and Danny Glover. You're going to get that reaction. But with kids, yeah. they're like, okay, this is, we're digging that. So about that joke, I'm like, damn. <laughs> so I, I picked a sequence where I've got my phone. So yeah. I had my phone in my hand, this exact phone. And I kind of tuned out everyone. It was like, tuned out everyone. I'm like, I'm just going to make, I'm just going to make the most silliest thing. It's all going to be about me. And there's a sequence where they're getting chased by the cops, by the military, big, big freeway chase. And um, Zora is obsessed with cupcakes. So the whole idea they're in the car in the first place, they heard about this truck being tipped over on the 405 highway. And there's tons of cupcakes. You go, let's go screw up some cupcakes. And Lane's like, no, you can't do that. It's called stealing. Anyway, they're being chased and they find a bridge. Oh my God, the bridge is broken. And the car does something really cool. And the car jumps up into the bridge, rotates. And then we go into slow motion. And the camera goes around into the windshield we go in there everything's falling on the face the hair's in slow motion Zora's face hits the windshield she looks down she sees the cupcakes she goes cupcakes <laughs> and Lane's like seriously and then they, they land and they're like Lane's like we're never doing that again and Zora's like yeah but cupcakes so I said it way funny at the time um, way more energetic yeah, it's good it's um, still good and he, he played it out with his phone by the and way and I had so it on my like phone, the everyone goes, his phone exactly how it was I kind of tuned back in and everyone's in stitches I'm like really? Really? And I got hired. The next two weeks, I flew out to Vancouver and I was directing the pilot. Mate. And, and I wow. ended up directing the last block as well. So I ended up directing four episodes out of that. So eight much episode. fun. This has been amazing. Thank you. Has this is honestly, thank you so much. Really good fun. The Beyond Pleasure. is available now on Netflix yep. all around the world. Yep. Origin Unknown or 2036 Origin Unknown right. uh, is available in most places, but it will be on Netflix. And Fast Lane as well is on Disney Channel. And Fast Lane is yep. on Disney Channel. Where can people follow you on the socials and where can people yeah, find you? Yeah, I mean, stuff? I'm very accessible. Like on Twitter, I'm HAZVFX, HazVFX. I still kept the VFX thing in. You can go to hasfilm.com, which is my website. Which where is you, where you can see all the short films. All my short, you can cool. see everything. There's loads behind the scenes stuff on there as well yep, i always like cool i always like to give something back because i kind of grew up watching behind the scene dvds so yep. i kind of want to give some so on all my films i always try to have behind the scenes so go on there you'll find everything you need to know and um, I'm, I'm i'm accessible as well so i'm on instagram as well yeah. so has dazzle i didn't come up with the name um who did uh, my missus <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey she's back. like listen yeah if i'm gonna put into your film i'm gonna choose your instagram one condition you can follow me at giles alderson robbie where can they follow you you can follow me at robbie mccain lovely radio voice there uh, you can follow <laughs> the podcast at filmmakers pod on twitter or go to filmmakerspodcast.com for a whole back catalog of podcasts and go to itunes uh if you like this podcast subscribe and give us a five-star review why not be being prepared is everything you can make your indie film, but know who your audience is and get out there and do it. And remember, if you're lucky enough to rise up and do well, it's your duty to send that elevator back down. Uh, thank you very much for joining us on the Filmmakers Podcast. Has this has Hi. been amazing. My pleasure. The next show is out next Tuesday, as always. So we will see you next Tuesday. So until then, keep your dream alive and make your indie film. Go do it. Do what Has has done. Cheers, guys. Take Thanks. care. Bye. 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 <laughs> This was a podcast from the Podfix Network. You can check out more shows like it at podfixnetwork.com.